Now last week we had a look at Genesis and today we're going to take another look at Genesis and then we will move along to Exodus for the next week. Last week we saw that right after God created the heavens and the earth and established his people, they were won over by the lies of the devil. And those lies are the same lies he tells today. He needs no new tools because the old tools are working quite well. The lies were, has God said? In other words, did God speak to you at all? Did he speak at all to anybody? And then twisting scripture, making it more strict or less strict. And he did both. Then it really is. Then the you won't die lie. That's the there are no consequences. Then the God is keeping good stuff from you. That's the one he uses on a lot of us, isn't it? That if you just listen to, to the devil, you can get better stuff than you can get from God. And then the last, you can be your own God. You can decide for yourselves. Well, look for those lies because we're going to talk about the stories. The Bible begins with a very dramatic story, an ancient poem, an explosion of life. I believe that it's a, it's a mistake to try to read the Bible through 2014 eyes to say, we know science and therefore the Bible must be speaking to us. There are two problems with that. First of all, it wasn't. The Bible was written for us, but it was not written to us. We need to remember to whom it was written. And a bunch of shepherds about the place, God trying to explain to them the exact mechanics of creation would be like trying to explain quantum physics to your goldfish. If you've not tried, don't. So what did God do? He gave us a poem in an ancient form, which if you know ancient poetry, there is a certain set form. There's a 3-3 three, three form with an extended sixth and a never-ending seventh. How's that? It's rather like sonnets. Now, some of you, as soon as I say sonnet, you begin to hemorrhage because you didn't care much for Shakespeare's poetry and the like, and fair enough. But if you ever had to learn the rules of sonnets or haiku, there are rules. And in these poems, there were rules. Day one and day four are going to have parallels. Day two and day five, parallels. Day three, day six, parallel. But six will be extended. And then there will be a day seven which does not end. And as God entered into that rest, we never get a, and evening was the seventh day. It never closes. That, why, why did God use this poem for us? Well, as a counter to other poems that were out there about how God created, gods created the earth by devouring each other and spitting out each other, hunks of each other that became different planets. I'm not making this up. And a couple gods that were so powerful that they created themselves, which the mechanics of that would have been interesting to watch. There were others where it was all built through war. It was all built through hate. It was all built through violence. This one is built through love, artistry, beauty. And not gods in conflict, but God, who then speaks to the others with him, saying, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Not a war between the gods or between gods and humans, but rather a linking of arms, a linking of futures. This wonderful explosion of life and creativity, but then chaos. We see chaos as soon as it starts. Then the Spirit of God moves upon the face of the water, 
and all of a sudden, life, an explosion of life. We see that in the rocks. America, fascinating place, so it is. If you're driving about, you're, you're going to build a road, and there's a hill in front of you. You say, I'm not driving over that, and you cut right through it. That's brilliant, so it is. It's the hardest possible way to get a road through there. You're going to do it that way. That's, I've, I've often thought if America decided that they needed their signs two feet higher, they would lower the roads. <laughs> Just to prove we can do it. You know, that's the sort of thing. Yeah, try that in Scotland. We're all sitting around going, oh, no, that's all right. We'll just walk, you know. Uh, and and it's, it's brilliant, so it is. But you go and you look and you see all those layers. Down here, nothing. Not even microscopic life. Nothing. No plant. No cells. Nothing. Next layer, boom. Explosion. All kinds of life moving and locked into the system. You see it there. God moves down into the chaos and brings order. And yet, those in Genesis that move away from God descend back into chaos. That's the theme. Watch for the theme. The chaos can be evident, and in our own lives it can be evident, drug abuse and violence and the like, uh, wars, but it can also be under the surface, that chaos of the heart. They... For a long time, there was an English guy named Robin Leach that did the lifestyles of the rich and famous. And you'd watch on telly to see uh, all the, or today it might be MTV's you know, crib or something, where you're, where you're looking to see, ooh, look at what money can buy. What they don't show you is the agony of the heart. Suicide, drug addiction, and depression um, is much, much higher among the rich and the professional classes than it is among the poorer lower middle class and lower working classes. Now, why is this? Because sometimes when you get stuff, not always, but sometimes when you get stuff, it pulls you away from God. And the more stuff you have, the more pulled away you are, and the more the chaos sets in. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, quoting the book of Habakkuk, by the way, the righteous, the just, will live by faith. We live by faith. We live life. Life comes by faith. So the question we have to ask ourselves as we read Genesis is, ooh, these interesting people we're meeting, are they going to believe? Who they believe is critical. For true faith drives us forward, and sometimes it makes us cower and retreat. Faith in God brings us life. It brings us meaning. Faith in anything else guarantees chaos. It's just a matter of time. And that's why in Hebrews chapter 11, your faith is always matched with a verb. It's, it's an interesting linguistic form in, in Hebrews 11. By faith, verb. By faith, verb. By faith, verb. Where's the verb? There needs to be a verb to follow the faith. Where is your verb? Where's their verb? In other words, faith in God is not just believing in something. It's believing and acting upon that faith. For an example, uh, most of you have not been to France, but you believe it's there. 
but you did not stop at any time in the prior week and say, ooh, I'd better not say that, there's a France. Or I'd better not do that, there's a France. Or I'd better not wear those clothes because there's a France. I better not buy that because there's a France. You believe that it exists, but that, that belief does not affect your life. If you believe that God exists, it's got to be more than intellectual assent. It's got to be a life-changing, decision-changing belief. I will say something else because there is a God. I will do something else because there is a God. I will buy or not buy because there is a God. Decisions change with true faith. For example, Noah. Fascinating story. And I know a lot of people were just absolutely appalled that Hollywood changed it. Because Hollywood's never changed a story before. (laughs) People were shocked. Well, listen, that's nothing. I have seen Noah, the story of Noah, acted out by vegetables. appalling. (laughs) Some of them weren't even tasty vegetables. (laughs) For all of you that were very upset, may I just say from the Lord, chill. (laughs) There are many ways to tell the story. Here's, don't, as soon as we say Noah and people say, right, let's graft out how much room a zebra makes and then try to figure out how much room in the ark. Stop it. It's about faith. It's not about the boat. It's not about the animals. It's about faith. Who did God pick the world's worst preacher? He did. 100 years of preaching. He got nobody but his own family. And we don't even know that all of them were there. People say, no, no, it named his sons. Didn't say these were the only sons he had. And he had no daughters. We don't know. These are the only ones coming to church 100 years later. He also picked the world's worst carpenter. 100 years to build a box. People, the word ark means box. If your ark on your kid's nursery wall looks like a boat, that's not it. <laughs> it's just a box. I think God looked at him and went, eh, he's not going to do compound angles. Um, <laughs> square. Square's good. <laughs> and I love this because I'm a I'm, I'm not that good of a, of a preacher, but I'm also a horrible carpenter. We had, we had a, a border collie in Scotland that refused to come in. Dogs come in in Scotland, and they lay by the fire. But this one just wouldn't. It was like, no, something might happen, and I need to be out here taking care of the sheep. So we went, all right, fair enough. And it's just the neighbors started calling us. They said, get your dog in because you're being mean to the dog. And I'm going, dog, you're making me look bad. Dog didn't care. So my wife said, build him a doghouse. I went, all right, fair enough. How hard could it be? It was hard. (laughs) Build a doghouse. Dog wouldn't go in it. Dog was smart. First gale, it blew away. (laughs) I built another doghouse. Dog wouldn't go in it. Dog was smart. It blew away. Third, I know this sounds like Goldilocks, but third one, I overbuilt it. It's It's going to last a week and a half after the end of time. Dog still wouldn't go in it. Now it's a dog's fault. But I'm not a carpenter. And I look at Noah. He's not a carpenter. He's not a preacher. But who's he going to listen to? If we understand correctly, it hadn't rained. Not yet. And so God's saying the sky's going to start leaking. Okay. 
people, I don't even believe it whenever Channel 5 tells me that. <laughs> but his faith drove him to obey. Salvation resulted. That's the story. What happened to the rest of the world? Drowned in chaos. Do you get the story? Those that listen to God have order and life. Those that do not, chaos and death. That's the story. In, in a charge, we almost never read. We almost never discuss. God told Noah that life was precious, and he would hold us to account for the way we treated life. I think we've got, do we have Genesis 9 on a slide? Verses 4 through 6. But you must not eat meat. By the way, one of the things I heard Christians say, they turned them into vegetarians. Noah was. They didn't eat meat until after. It's appalling that Christians would yell and write articles and blogs without knowing that Hollywood got that right. You must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. For your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from every human being too. I will demand an accounting for the life of, the, of another human being. Life is precious. After the ark settled, by the way, God told them that now they were allowed to eat meat. And yet in the Old Testament, the way that you killed the meat you ate mattered. You couldn't overkill. You had to kill only for the needs of the group. You didn't kill for trophies. You didn't kill for fun. When you killed, it had to be done in a ritual way that caused no pain for the animal. We're still far behind God's rules. God said, you are accountable for life. This is the message of Genesis. Life is precious. It's a gift from God, and it must be lived in relationship with God and in obedience to the one who gave us life. We're a part of this world. We are of a higher character, a higher plane of existence than the animals, and yet we are to care for them. We are custodians and managers of this world, and that includes custodians and managers of our own lives. From time to time, in Genesis, if you've read through, which you should have done, you had two weeks, we're going to give you four for Psalms merely because we like you. I tried to do that one in one week once. That's really why we're giving you four, because people didn't like that. From time to time, God calls out a family, calls out one person or a group, gives them a part to play to prepare the world for the coming of Jesus. He finds a guy named Abraham, Abram at the time, living in the best, biggest, most advanced city of the world at that age, Ur of the Chaldees. I don't know why they called it Ur. Silly name, but it got him out of the committee meeting quickly, I'm sure. You know, what are we going to call this place? Ur, okay. You know, and that... God goes to Abram, and he says this in Genesis chapter 12. And I think we have a slide for that, verses 1 through 5 and verse 7. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country. Think about what would you, what would you do if the, God said this to you. Your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. Now you tell him where it was. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. Curse whoever curses you. I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went. So 
So Abraham went. There seemed, I would have liked to have heard the thought process. Shakespeare would have given it. To, be, to go or not to go, that is the question. As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Uh-oh, foreshadowing. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. God doesn't always, I'm sorry, God doesn't always pick the young, fit, and ready. Sometimes he picks the comfortable and says, move. Let's go. He took his wife, Sarai, his, his nephew, Lot, again, all the possessions they'd accumulated and the people they'd acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Again, there's a whole lot of story we're not getting. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. It's a, listening to a God you've never known, doing whatever he asks you to do, sounds crazy. But a lot of what God's asked us to do sounds crazy. Love one person, hold on to them, be faithful to them, don't shop around in your head or in your, your actual life. There are a lot of things God says that the world looks at and says, that's crazy. But salvation results. Life results. Leave everything, go into the wilderness. Hey, what does he ask you to do? Leave it all. Be buried, as we just saw, with our new brother and sister in Christ. It even is a death ritual. Go into the water like you're buried. Come out like a new person. Leave the old things behind. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. What is your citizenship? I think, I think you should be proud of whatever country you come from. I think you should be proud of whatever state you come from. Perhaps even proud of whatever college you graduated from that you've got the hat and they play football. But your citizenship that tops everything is in heaven. The one big idea, as our young lady so well taught us today, once again, those people in Nicaragua aren't those people. They're our people. They're us. We are them. God's big idea played out. Citizens of heaven, walking by faith, Abraham was not a superhero. Did you notice that? He made a lot of terrible mistakes that messed up his family and his faith, but he believed. He kept going forward, and that made all the difference. Without God, your life will either end in a bang or a whimper. With God, it can end in a song. With God, it can end in a smile. So as a writer of Hebrews says, by faith, Abram went. And as he enters the last stage of his life, guess what? God hasn't even given him the land yet. So he buys the property upon which he can bury his wife because he believes that one day God will give it to his sons. He doesn't, leave, doesn't lose hope. Interspersed in all these stories that we know and love in Genesis are stories we don't love. Some we don't even know. We see Sodom, where men had abandoned the rule and law of God and descended into chaos, taking any innocent traveler along with them into the abyss. We see Abraham willing to prostitute Sarah in order to protect himself. 
We see Laban lying to Jacob, Jacob lying to his father. The violation of Dinah and the horrific violence that unleashed. The pain of sexual sin. The sins of Joseph's brothers that, that sold him into slavery for years. All because people refused to walk by faith, not by sight. They didn't treasure life. They didn't prize life. And that always stuns me. We believe, listen carefully, in the preciousness of others, no matter who those others are. Red and yellow, black and white, rich and poor, political party aside, it doesn't matter the nationality, it doesn't matter the, the sexuality, we know they are alive and made in the image of God and we are to treat them accordingly. We are the people, to put it very simply, who, um, who put the shopping carts away even if they weren't our carts. I don't know how many times I've been stopped in a parking lot and asked if I would take their cart. They assumed I worked there. My wife says it's because I dress like I work at the grocery store. So I went, all right, fair enough. How many times have you wanted to pull into a slot, but there's a, a cart? Two slots away from the cart rack. Somebody didn't think the next person was precious. Don't let that be you. Don't, you, you treat the person that did that as precious. You treat the checkout person as precious. You treat each other as precious. The Bible goes further. It says to esteem others more highly than you esteem yourself. Life. The true measure of life is in its faithfulness to God. Did this person believe God and bring order? Or did they walk away and bring chaos? In the life of Joseph, which takes up 13 chapters, the same amount as the life of Abraham, by the way. There's a balance in the book. It's a morality play acted out in, in front of us to show us this example again. Will Joseph's brothers really value his life so cheaply as to sell him into slavery? And they do. Well, what's he going to do in return? How, how's he going to respond? Will he, will he, he turn bitter against God and say, look what you allowed to happen to me, and now Potiphar's wife is coming on to him, and he says, you know, God deserted me. I'm going to take my pleasure anywhere I can. Will he, will he, will he keep the faith or will he lose it? Then he's in prison, and he, and he does the right thing. And the people he helps forgets him. They don't value his life. They don't treasure his life. Will he treasure theirs? Will he stay and believe? Will he help feed the people of Egypt after all they've done to him? Yes, he will. He will prepare for them. He will feed them even after all they've done to him because he treasured life. But when his brothers come back and they're at his mercy, what will he do? He will feed them and give them the nicest places in the country to live because he remembers God. He remembers the law given to Noah. Treasure life. Walk by faith, not by sight. So we remember Joseph, 
And we remembered Noah, whose job was to build the box. It was God's job to make it float. Because I had a feeling I wouldn't have without God. That's why, by the way, he said, put pitch in inside and outside. What pitch is, is caulk. In other words, God even knew he couldn't make the join right. So he just said, use a whole lot of that. Our lives may not look pretty with pitch inside and outside and smelling like animals and bouncing about on the seas of time, but God can bring salvation to us and our families if we listen. He can save life if we listen. Mark, would you bring your team up, please? The only way to respond to a God like this is to cry out, holy, holy, holy. We're going to end on that song today, but for now, would you stand? This is the message of Genesis and much of the Bible. Will you listen to Satan or to God? Will you explode and implode along with this galaxy and be absorbed into its gray anonymity? Or will you shine like stars in the heaven, lights in the sky? Will you rise above the chaos and live by faith in the middle of the storm, singing holy, holy, holy?